organizers in general have seen that reforming the police, if we're just talking about the police, for example, is not something that could really work. The police right now, as we see it, is reform in, in many ways. This is Wine, Women, and Revolution with your host, Heather Warburton. Hi, and welcome to Wine, Women, and Revolution. I'm your host, Heather Warburton. Today, we have a new kind of co-host with me. For those of you that have been following my articles for about like five months now or so, and notice that the articles got way, way better. That's because of the work of our former intern, currently associate producer, Leah. And Leah's joining me to co-host tonight. Welcome to uh, Wine, Women, and Revolution, Leah. Hello. Yes, this is very exciting. I'm glad to be here. Uh, this is really cool. My first co-host. So tonight what we're going to be talking about is something that I, another one of those things I've been screaming about for years now um, is that police and why they do not serve an, a useful or important role in society and how we kind of need to transition away from a policing model and to more of a restorative justice model. So to that end, I have three amazing women from the New Jersey Abolitionist Collective with me tonight. Their names are Ray, Scooter, and Blue. Welcome to the show, guys. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having us. So I guess my first question I want to get into is, um, tell me a little bit about how the New Jersey Abolitionist Collective started. Um, so NJAC, which is like the acronym for a New Jersey Abolitionist Collective, um, started a few months ago now, like a couple months ago, following um, all the protests that were happening across the country with the death of George, George Floyd, but also just in um, reaction to like police violence and police brutality. We started this organiz we, we, we started this organization essentially because there was no like abolitionist long-term long radical organizations that existed in New Jersey that we were familiar with. And we were just individuals that were going to protest. And a lot of these protests were organized by reformists. And we would just be voices in the crowd and they had all these platforms and were speaking for police reform, which didn't align with our beliefs. So we kind of got together like a few of us and we were like, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be important to kind of create a collective in which individuals all across Jersey could connect with each other, whether they belong to organizations or not, just one big collective that um, connected radical organizations and individuals across Jersey together so that in times of protest or community organizing, they had like this collective body that existed that they could go back to and ask for help or ask for people to be present at their events or just like find other people they could organize with um, in their regions. And that's kind of where the idea of the collective came from was just to just just like plant the seeds for radical organizing in New Jersey. That's awesome. Yeah. And how did you guys come to all find you? You said you came, you all went to protest together is how you all came to find each other. So we all were already familiar with each other. Um, a lot of us are from the same area in New Jersey. Okay. Um, and in regards to like the larger collective, we've just been recruiting since we started the organization, um, essentially. And we meet people through other people. We meet people who we have who have like reached out to us and asked if they could be part of NJAC, that they're looking for individuals to organize within their, wherever that they live in Jersey. 
even like a lot of the folks in the organizations, we haven't like, met them in person, but we're in constant communication with them and their organizations wherever they are in Jersey. What other organizations have reached out to you so far that you've hooked up with? So we work with other abolitionist organizations. Um, they are, one of them is based in Montclair. They're called Montclair Beyond Policing. Mercer County just started their own abolitionist collective. We work with like Black Lives Matter movements in in um, New Jersey as well. And then like a lot of the folks, like I said, are just like individuals who were also kind of in the same position as us, who didn't really belong to any specific organization, but were looking for others they could organize with. Oh yeah, and in New Brunswick as well. They're working on, they're called Defund New Brunswick. Um, a lot of the members are also from that region in Jersey. So um, I had a little question. So you were talking about how the people at the protest had views that were like a little different from yours on police uh, abolition. So I was wondering what those views were and how they differ from yours. Well, um, so when it comes to like the kind of protests and the uh, spaces that we were kind of in that were kind of different from ours were a lot of, um, and we saw this a lot, um, especially in the last couple of weeks, there are a lot of just like reformists, which basically means that they try to advocate for certain changes that could happen within the system. So um, maybe like having more policing or better policing or whatever that means, you know, and these kind of things we have seen in like not just, of course, when I say we, not us, but like organizers in general have seen that reforming the police, if we're just talking about the police, for example, is not something that could really work. The police right now, as we see it, is reformed in in many ways. So these are just the kind of opinions, not opinions, but these are the kind of views that we kind of we see in like these spaces. So we kind of wanted a space that um, we could talk more about abolition and kind of like creating this new world where we trust in ourselves and in our communities and we can kind of like see beyond the systems that we have. So instead of like advocating to change a system or to keep reforming, keep adding things, taking away, how about we just, you know, not have this at all and begin something new, something that could be useful and beneficial for everyone, something that could, you know, exist in a world for all of us. So these are just the kind of things that we saw in these spaces and we thought we you know it wasn't kind of useful because we could we've seen this for many years multiple protests, multiple George Floyds have existed. This is not the first time that this has happened. So we have seen this happen multiple times and it just simply just doesn't work. This is not the kind of work that needs to be done and it's not the kind of work that we really see in working for our future and for other things. So this is kind of like the, the basic idea of what um, we've seen. As far as the whole reformist versus abolition question goes back to, I mean, one prime example is if you think about chokeholds, how many bans have been quote unquote enforced on chokeholds in the police departments, but they're never really enforced. I mean, it's just, you can't correct a system that refuses to be corrected, you know? There's no sort of holding accountable the force that is supposedly holding everyone else accountable. I wanted to follow up to Leah's question of what do you envision a better model to look like? I'd actually kind of like all of you to go around and answer that of what your vision for the future, you know, when we abolish police, what does that future look like? As far as what it would look like if they were 
disbanded or defunded, I would envision a system in which um, social services more, were more widely available. I feel like a lot of times people resort to calling police because there is a systemic, I feel like a lot of problems that involve police being called are culminations of systemic inequalities or, you know, situations. Um, like why, if you think about it, like why would someone steal? It's not, be, a lot of the time, you know, it's not because they just get to do it for, you know, for fun. It's because they need like food or they need material that this society has not given them. Um, and I don't know, I just, it shouldn't be a death sentence to call for help. Mm. And it is for black people. It is for people of color. When you call the police on your neighbors for being too noisy, there is a, a good chance that they will be harmed if they are people of color. I think a lot of that is because like, when you call the police, they get sent in and they're militarized. Like they have a gun like even for situations that like would not require a gun at all like a drug overdose why is someone coming in there with a gun like that's not what's needed what's needed is intervention like social workers would be a lot better we don't need aggression and violence in these situations what do you think rain scooter I think um, if we really look into the history of what policing is and what it does, it could answer a lot of our questions to why these things exist and who they exist for. Um, when looking at the history of policing, of course, it originated from it's their slave patrols. And basically, the idea of what has been reformed over and over and over again for years now is the kind of police that we have right now. It's, it's just they protect I, I'm, I'm not going to answer the question, but I want everybody to kind of think of, like, what do the police kind of, you know, do? What do they protect? What do they um, go in for? And I think that could answer a lot of um, questions as to, like, what are, like, why we have them present in, in the spaces that they're in. And I think that putting resources, putting money, putting time, effort into our communities can, can eliminate that problem. If we take care of our homeless um, issues in our neighborhoods can eliminate that problem. We take we put money into more doctors, more more health services, more um, food, um, um, grocery stores, more all of these resources, all of these things. If they were more widely available in our communities, if you fund schools better, if you fund all of these facilities better, they w there wouldn't need to be that kind of force or in that and that kind of. Um, um, institution in these areas and so this is the kind of space and kind of world we're looking at when we talk about abolition it's just talking looking at how we could not have these system in place and what we need in order to for us to survive and to be reliable or, or like to rely on each other with when it comes to like surviving um, yeah, I agree with um, Ray also. Um, police were created to protect property, white property rights and elitist prop like for like they are they serve the purpose of the elite in this country. They're not here for the people. And in an in in the an abolitionist viewpoint, really what 
why people are abolitionists is because we believe in community first. We believe in reallocating resources back to our communities and back to our people so that they have the means to survive. Right now, people are not surviving. People are barely living. Um, they're barely making ends meet. They're barely able to take care of themselves and their families. Ab abolishing isn't just about abolishing the police. It's about abolishing um, a system that is predicated on the exploitation of like the working class. Like This is all about reallocating the money back to the people who are actually working for it um, rather than giving billions and billions of dollars into the pockets of those who you can't even... You can't even tell me what these people are doing when when they're the CEO of a company. You can't describe their day to day basis, but you you can des describe the day to day basis of um, somebody who works at Walmart or McDonald's or even like a social worker or a teacher. Um, it's really about reallocating money and resources and food and shelter back to people so that they can come to not just trust th themselves but trust each other. Um, and once you trust each other and you need each other. All these problems sort of just sort of just go away. Like you're not—it's not a doggy dog world where you're trying to just survive. You're able to live and care for each other, um, and that's how I envision like an abolitionist world. Right. You're talking about challenging the exploitation of capitalism, basically, that if we push back against that exploitation and people aren't just seen as numbers, then we can actually take care of each other. Yes. Did you have a question, Leah? You popped on for a second. Yeah, so we're saying that police are kind of like a capitalistic idea. Oh, I yes, agree. 100%. Yeah. I mean, just like what Ray said, they police originated as slave patrol in this country. Um, the roots of policing is violent, and it is meant to protect white property, and that's essentially what it does now there is no difference in how police operate and you know on just like on on a more global scale as well like police are trained by israeli defense soldiers in the u.s to use violent tactics against civilians here like they are abroad like this is a, this is not just policing is just not a problem within the u.s but it's a global issue the u.s military is the world's police and like we see these same problems exist and until we can until we can abolish systems of policing, it's not just about like black and brown lives in the U.S., it's about black and brown lives everywhere. Right, because capitalism can't exist without exploiting someone. And usually it's people in the global south or black and brown bodies or the people being colonized and exploited. And I mean, it's been shown, police have been told that in court, they don't have to protect you. That's not their job. They're not showing up to protect people. They're showing up to protect the status quo. Um. This is also why we don't believe in reforming the police, because, like, I believe in 35 out of 50 states, police are allowed to um, rape people that they have in custody. Like, this is a law. Like, we don't believe in the law of this land. We believe in creating, in creating something that's completely new and isn't predicated in violence like police have so much power and why is it that they have power like this why is it that you need to create laws in a country that protects people like why are law why the just the very concept of creating laws so that people are protected just proves that this that the system was never meant to protect anybody So I did see, because I did a little research on your website, you kind of put out a list of demands, uh, specifically for the Atlantic City Police Department. Um, and I wanted to kind of go over what your demands were and what kind of response you've gotten from the list of demands. 
Um, so we actually released two demands, um, one for the Lenox City Police Department and one for the Stockton Police Department as well, or Stockton University in regards to their police department. Um, our demands are in regards to defunding both police departments at the moment because we believe that defunding is one step towards abolition. Um, and so our first demand for the ACPD um, was, to, was the swift firing of killer cops and um, community response. I'll just go through them real quick and then we can okay. talk about them. Um, no to Atlantic City Police Department budget increase, um, fund communities, not cops, and end the military occupation of, of the black community. And I think like a lot of these demands are pretty self-explanatory because they still go back to um, funding communities and not violent police entities or just violent entities in general. The Atlantic City um, population, I believe, before the pandemic started, near 40% of them lived below the poverty rate which is ridiculous in regards to how much the ACPD is funded in regards to how the city operates. Um, it's not taking care of its people. And so we believe that in, in, in applying these demands, we can reallocate resources back to the community so that people are not starving. There's an increasing homeless population in Atlantic City. There's just mass reports of violence in the, uh, by police in the community. Um, in regards to reception, it hasn't been very well, especially obviously from the police department, um, but also in regards to, I guess, some of the community who aren't quite ready to defund the police. Um, like a lot of the police in Atlantic City are from the community, so that has been a bit of a challenge in getting folks to be a little bit more receptive to these demands. I mean, these demands weren't made for like the... I mean, of course, we would like we would like these demands to actually happen. You know, if if it would, if it were up to us, like th this would be discussed further with more um, local officials, and like we would go to th there would be mo there's more steps that we could take to ensure that these demands are um, talked about or addressed in some way. But we've seen that there's um, a a kind of people are kind of hesitant when it comes to defunding or when it comes to like challenging the police, especially in AC, because one, this is kind of something that's not spoken about a lot. It's not, there's not a lot of um, kind of like a revolutionary worker kind of work that that's been done in Atlantic city or to challenge any work that was challenging the ACPD. So there's a lot of um, fear, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of, um, things that um, need to be kind of addressed or talked about before the community kind of is ready to, to, to take these um, demands seriously. And it's more about the people um, being sure that they want to do this and constantly going to town hall meetings and meeting up with officials and having people show up to to protests or to meetings and disrupting and you know making sure that th these demands are heard it's more about that than the actual police force you know addressing these demands because of course the police acpd they don't want to do anything they we, we have they have gotten these demands um, we have made it public. Of course, um, they could have just printed it. Or they could have taken it to throw it in any trash. And that's what, you know, usually happens. It's the people that are consistent with going there and asking and demanding that these demands are being taken seriously. And I think this list of demand 
kind of started that 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 conversation started that um we kind of started that having that space to talk about these things and thinking about how we could you know move further into doing this and how things like this could happen and ever since these demands have gone out and so many things have been coming up from AC we've been learning a lot about ACPD and certain things that they've done to the Atlantic City community and there's a lot of things that have come up people are ready to talk about this and to see where we could kind of go with it and these are kind of just like the building seeds you know into setting and to like laying a, a strong foundation and like um movements and into revolutionary work in the city and this is kind of happening everybody's kind of doing this in their own little, like city um so these things are like more like it's it's a global movement but it's also very local everybody around you is kind of you know starting to do this starting to have these conversations and starting to to look into how we get this work done so it yeah do any of you know the budget of the Atlantic City Police Force? Like Atlantic City has a fairly large budget. I was wondering what percentage of it goes to their police force. Um, I do not have the data for the budget like in front of me. I know that they plan to increase their budget by $2.5 million this year, which in itself is an atrocious it's, amount of money. It's, it's dozens of millions. It's yeah. like, it's like mm, I want to say like, 40 to 60. Yeah. Right. If 2.5 is the increase, then that means it's probably a very marginal amount on top of what they already are spending. And there's a lot that can be done with those resources. That's disgusting. Oh my gosh. And we've been doing the same thing with Stockton. Um, you know, a few, like a, quite a few of us have graduated from that institution. Um, and so our demands for Stockton were also, when we first released them, were not received well at all. Um, Stockton University essentially told us that we have no, um, we as an unrecognized organization have no pull in the operations of the university in releasing these demands. Um, they even told us that we were co-opting their social justice movement on the campus or whatever. Um, and then, and so, but our mistake was that we didn't have any organizations who signed on to our demands before we released them, like official organizations on campus. So we spent about two weeks gathering over 30 organizations on campus, had them recognize NJAC as an actual community organization, sign on to the demands and we released them back to Stockton and we still haven't heard from them. Um, but, you know, they, they, they told us we have no pull. And so we went and we got some pull from the people <laughs> of the university. Like we have faculty, we have staff signed on to these demands. Um, and so now we just wait to see how they're going to respond to it because they, they thought they had one on us, but then we went and pulled another one on them. Right. You did good organizing. Um, you out-organized them. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. And their budget for their, the Stockton PD is $4 million. That's $4 million of the of the students' money going to the police department. And also Stockton, Stockton also funds other police departments where they have their campuses. So let's say Stockton has a campus in Galloway. They give money to the Galloway PD. It has another campus in um, AC now. They're building a campus in AC. So that means that there's more money that is gonna go into the AC police department. So they not only fund their own police department, they fund every police department that their campuses are in. And that's on top so of the 4 million? Is, yes. Wow. 
and they're in they're in Atlantic City now. The city is in the process of gentrification. Like it's inevitable. You are about to kick so much of these poor black and brown folks out of their city so that your your predominantly white institution can exist within the city space. Um and we see that already happening. And you know, Stockton is just like our is like our baby operation for what we plan we hope to um, accomplish in the future. Um, Harvey Kesselman, who is the president of um, Stockton University, was just appointed effective July 1st, the president of the NJ President's Council. So he is now the president of all the presidents of the, every um, college and university in the state of New Jersey. So now every student in the state of New Jersey is signing his paycheck. Wow. His pay went so, up, right? We're hoping to really work on defunding all the institutions police, um, hopefully in the future as we continue to work in, you know, work in this movement. So we're running about out of time, but I wanted to give Leah another chance to ask a question before I go to last words. Oh, I just, um, I guess I was wondering, you were talking about all those demands and how, like, it's like local people have been inspired by, like, these kind of things and have been, like, looking to join those sorts of movements did you guys kind of get any new members for your abolitionist collective um when you put out those demands like did it attract any attention for you yeah absolutely like when we started off we were about like maybe 10 individuals in njac and we've grown to have almost 60 members in our organization as of oh, now wow. um and like you know we're growing every day um we're constantly trying to reach out with other organizations and you know this is for us too we're new we're not perfect we have a lot of growing to do and for us to work with other organizations that are established we also can create a better framework for our organization um and yeah and like you know like i guess i didn't say this in the beginning but the point of njac is not just to connect organizers and um and organizations but like we're doing this to set the seeds for long-term organizing in New Jersey so that when the momentum passes, we are still here and there are folks who are invested in this work who want to see this happen for the rest of their lives. You know, abolition doesn't happen overnight and we need to stay as invested as we can into it um, till the day we die, essentially. So how do people get involved if they want to get involved? Um, Reach out to our social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, we have an email is njacollective at gmail.com. Um, if you send us an email, I would have, we will happily um, re- reach out to you as well. Um, and we can start talking. And our Instagram, is, the handle is at njabolitionistcollective. Okay. For folks who want to follow us on our social media. Oh, I didn't hear what you say. Um, yeah, you, you can always reach out to us on our social media. We always respond to messages. Um, yeah. All right. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking to all of you guys tonight. And usually when I close out my show, I want to give our guests a last word, a closing statement, either something inspiring or something, you know, a call to action. So whoever wants to take that, go ahead. Um, one of my favorite quotes is from the letter from Birmingham jail from MLK, where he talks about the white moderate um, and how it's not, I'm paraphrasing, but it's not the um, KKK who's the biggest threat to our freedom. It is the white moderate who who tells you that, um, I who, who agrees with you in wanting your freedom, but does not agree with you in the means in which you want to achieve it. So I guess for folks who are listening and um, who are looking to get into 
abolition work or expand their political education, um, yeah, look into abolition work. Look into your abolitionist organizations. Um, I know a lot of the times we think we're on the right side of history, but a lot of the times a lot of folks are not. Um, and, you know, now's the time, now's a good time as any to get on the right side of history. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's really a matter of kind of, it's a deeply uncomfortable process for a lot of people to look at what they have been taught their entire lives and sort of break that apart. But it's, it's a necessary process in order to be a better person, you know, a person who recognizes their privilege, who, like, the world, it's not naturally this way. We made it this way. We can unmake it. Mm -hmm. Those are great closing words. Thank you so much for that, Blue. So it's been a pleasure talking to you guys. Hopefully we'll keep in touch and uh, you'll keep me in on what you're doing, what sort of actions you're planning, what sort of, uh, especially if we ever get out of this COVID situation when people can actually get together and organize in person. You know, you're welcome back on the show anytime you want. To my listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. The future is yours to create. Go out there and create it.